You're listening to Knowing Faith, a podcast of Training the Church. This is Kyle Worley, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jen Wilkin and JT English. And on today's episode, we're going to talk to Dr. Greg Allison of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary on the topic of Catholics and Protestants. Are we just one big, messy family, or are we two things altogether different? And the inspiration behind this show was that we're approaching the 500th anniversary of the Reformation when Luther nailed the 95 Thesis to the door at Wittenberg. And so we thought it would be really helpful to distinguish a little bit about what's the difference and what unites Catholics and Protestants. And Dr. Allison has written widely, studied widely, and he's lived a full life engaging with Catholics from an evangelical perspective. And so we think that this conversation is immensely helpful in drawing out some of the similarities and key differences between Catholics and Protestants, and then giving us some opportunities to consider together how we can more fully and fruitfully engage our Catholic neighbors and brothers and sisters. We hope that this conversation is helpful for you. Enjoy the discussion. Today, we are joined by Dr. Greg Allison of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Dr. Allison is professor of Christian theology at Southern Seminary. And prior to joining the faculty of Southern, Dr. Allison was a professor at Western Seminary. And prior to that, he served with Campus Crusade for Christ for 18 years and was a missionary in Italy and Switzerland. Dr. Allison is the author of numerous books, including Historical Theology and Introduction to Christian Doctrine, Sojourners and Strangers, The Doctrine of the Church, which is a book we use in the training program here at the Village Church, and Roman Catholic Theology and Practice, an Evangelical Assessment. On top of writing and teaching, Dr. Allison serves as a pastor at Sojourn Community Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and surely one of his greatest claims to fame, or maybe his greatest trial, was serving as the doctoral supervisor for JT English. Dr. Allison, we're so glad to have you join us. Thank you very much. So glad you're here, Dr. Allison. Point. <laughs> well, yeah, so we for, need to get that in your official bio. Can we make that happen somehow? Yeah. <laughs> you, that in. Go, it's on my uh, signature on my email. Oh, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Edit the Wikipedia page for you. <laughs> so first, first question, Dr. Allison, what's your background uh, in history with Roman Catholicism? Like, how have you engaged with Roman Catholic practice? What's your biography with Roman Catholicism in general? So way back in the day, we're talking about 1976, my wife and I joined the staff of Campus Crusade, and our first assignment was the University of Notre Dame, which is, of course, the premier Roman Catholic university in the United States, and 80% of the students there are Roman Catholic. So of necessity, we had to learn much about Roman Catholic theology and practice because almost all of the students in our ministry were from a Catholic background were were actually practicing Catholics. And while there at Notre Dame, that really piqued our interest in eventually ending up in a largely Catholic country in Europe. And so in 1979, we transitioned from Notre Dame and ended up in Italy, and particularly three years in Rome where we were embedded as training center director and and participants in a brand new Roman Catholic evangelization movement. It was a lay movement uh, sharing the gospel as Roman Catholics, two Roman Catholics, and I actually directed the training center for uh, those people. My wife served alongside of me in helping to teach and train them. So, uh, and that put us into contact with a number of priests. I befriended two priests uh, very deeply uh, during that time. And uh, so that, of course, 
uh, really helped us develop this love for uh, working with and ministering to Catholics. Uh, then when I was doing my uh, Ph.D. at uh, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, uh, I took a course on the documents of Vatican II at a Catholic seminary there in Chicago. Vatican II was the general council, last general council of the Catholic Church from 1962 to 1965. It produced a lot of writings that really guide the Catholic Church, and so I had an opportunity to study with Catholic seminarians uh, the documents of this very important uh, council. And then ever since, both at Western Seminary and here at Southern Seminary, about every other year I teach a class on Roman Catholic theology and practice. So that's pretty much my background with Roman Catholicism. So, so suffice it to say, you uh, you can speak fairly authoritatively <laughs> on, uh, yeah, on that, that was topic. A, that was a big mic. Yeah. That was a big mic drop that. on that first question, Dr. Allison. <laughs> so I think so Dr. Allison. My, my big disadvantage in this, of course, is I, I'm not Catholic. I was not raised Catholic. Sure. Um, so I'm still an outsider. Mm. So I think that's as an outsider. I, I, I feel like I have a pretty good amount of experience with the Catholic Church, and uh, so yeah, that's that, that's my background. Okay, so here's where I think you, or I'd like to kind of kick off the conversation as we begin, kind of trying to dialogue around the relationship between Protestant Christianity and Catholic, uh, the Catholic tradition is so many of us, and I get this question all the time as a pastor, uh, kind of what distinguishes Catholics from Protestants? Like what happened in history? What were some of the major ideas uh, that really began to distinguish this Catholic tradition from what we understand Protestant Christianity to be? I mean, I can't tell you how many times I get the question, hey, my sister is a Catholic and I'm just not quite sure how to engage with her and what conversations I should have. So could you maybe just real quickly talk about some of the things maybe that Catholics and Protestants agree on? And maybe we can tease that out and then we can spend a little time talking about where Catholics and Protestants disagree. So the commonalities between Roman Catholics and Protestants or evangelicals include the doctrine of the Trinity. Um, so we all believe that God eternally exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three distinct persons, yet only one God. We, we agree with that. We agree about the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, he was fully God and fully man. So the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, became incarnate. He took on a real and full human nature. And so he is the God-man. We agree in large part about the work of Jesus Christ in terms of his passion, his death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and return. We agree that his death uh, was paid the penalty for our sins. He died as a substitute for us in our place. We agree about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. He is fully divine. He's the third person of the triune God who convicts us of sin and regenerates us and guides us and matters like that. We agree that God has revealed himself through uh, two different aspects of revelation, general revelation. So God has manifested himself through creation and the human conscience, uh, his providential care for his creation, uh, wiring us with an innate sense of himself. And he's also revealed himself through special revelation, through Jesus Christ and, and through scripture and other means. So there's, so, there's uh, a lot. I mean, just, that, just, uh, just. We're, as human beings created in the image of God, we have a large sin problem. Uh, we need God to take the initiative to save us. 
He incorporates us into his people, the body of Christ, the temple of the Holy Spirit, and we look forward to his return and the last judgment and the new heavens and new earth. So all of these are matters of commonalities. So when you're talking about like, I mean, everything that you just listed is a huge body of Christian doctrine that we're all agreeing on. So in order for us to have a Protestant uh, tradition, there must have been some fairly significant things, though, uh, regardless of the number of them that we disagree on. Can you help us there a little bit? Yes. So two major points of divergence, followed by a lot of others. But let's just look at the first two. Um, And these were principles that basically uh, set forth the Protestant Reformation. Uh, One of them is uh, sola scriptura, scripture alone. Scripture is our ultimate authority. So we as Protestants hold to a Bible that consists of 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. Uh, Catholics, Roman Catholics, hold to Scripture, tradition, and the magisterium. Let me talk a little bit about each of those. Scripture for the Catholic Church consists not only of the 66 books that I've just talked about, but there are seven additional books in their Old Testament. These are called the Apocrypha Writings or the Apocrypha, books like Tobit and Judith and First and Second Maccabees, and then additional sections to our version of Esther and our version of Daniel. And in these apocryphal writings, there's an emphasis on, for example, purgatory and praying for those who have died, uh, meriting eternal life through our good works and so forth. So can I actually stop you uh, right there for a second related to to meriting good works? Tell me what that means, because I feel like that's a primary point of distinction where if I talk to most of my Catholic friends or neighbors or uh, certainly not coworkers, I almost said coworkers, but uh, we don't have any uh, have any Catholic uh, coworkers at the Village Church yet. yet. Uh, at least lowercase yeah, c, we do. Yeah. Uh, you know, actually, I was baptized in the Catholic Church. I was really? Most of my family, most of my extended family is or was, yeah, Irish Catholic. Okay, I did not know that. Yeah, and interesting, like what's happening now is I've got kids down at Texas A&M, which actually has the largest population of Catholic students of any university in the United States. Like really? more Catholics at A&M than at Notre Dame. You're kidding. So my kids are encountering regular dialogue. all over the place. Not just with Catholics, but not nominal Catholics, like fully catechized. My daughter has a friend who wears um, a scapula, uh, insists that the mass be in Latin. And it's almost like Catholicism is hip again. And I'm I'm kind of interested in that idea. Are you seeing that, Dr. Allison? Sort of a return Uh, to interest in it? There's some drift of evangelicals to Roman Catholicism, and even less so Eastern Orthodoxy, largely because of the mystery and the authority and the history and and things like that. But I don't think there's been an uptick in interest. And I think we could say, generally speaking, except for the immigrant population, the Roman Catholic Church is losing members Mm. 
in mm. the U.S. Interesting. Maybe there's a, a, a upsurge maybe in younger people just because they're sick and tired of secularism and postmodernism right. and just this relativism, and they're, and they're finding in the Catholic Church, you know, some solid beliefs. Something to stand on. It right. could be. Well, and I think the, the liturgical elements, too, really appeal mm. to a lot of these kids who grew up in churches that were just kind of all over the map with what happened on the weekends sure. and... So, Dr. Well, Allison, yeah, you, we, we got to come back to that topic. Yeah, yeah let's, let's do that. Um, you, you made a point. So where do we go? You made a point a few, a few seconds ago. You said there was two points of distinction uh, or, yeah. or, or lack of commonality. One of them was biblical authority. And I think the second where you were going was, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think you were going to go towards uh, justification by faith, uh, by grace so alone, through faith to, alone. Let me go back to the authority thing because okay. I mentioned actually three legs of a three legged stool, if we could put it that way. Sure. One is scripture. So, so Catholics and Protestants agree about the written word of God, but Catholic Old Testament is longer sure. and than the Protestant version. Uh, second uh, aspect of authority, so the second leg of a three-legged stool would be tradition, uh, which would be Jesus' teachings, which he orally communicated to his apostles, who in turn orally communicated those teachings to their successors, the bishops in the Catholic Church. And this uh, tradition is nurtured and protected uh, within the Catholic Church, the hierarchy, the, the leaders of the Catholic Church. And occasionally it will be proclaimed as official doctrine or beliefs that are binding on the Catholic faithful's conscience. For example, the Immaculate Conception of Mary mm -hmm. and the Bodily Assumption of Mary. Mm -hmm. So uh, scripture... A tradition, And the third leg of this three-legged stool, this third aspect of authority, is the magisterium, which is a fancy word for the teaching office of the church. The pope and the bishops, they have the responsibility to determine what belongs in Scripture, what are the writings that belong in Scripture. They are, have the authoritative right and duty to give us the official interpretation of Scripture, and they are the ones who acknowledge and proclaim tradition and its meaning. So the Catholic authority structure is scripture, tradition, and the magisterium. That's very different from the Protestant authority structure, which is scripture alone. Scripture is our ultimate authority. The word of God written commands what we're to believe and obey and uh, encourages us and guides us, and that is our source of authority. So that's one major area, big major area of disagreement. And then it's the second, it sounded like you were talking about uh, perhaps meriting God's favor. You'd mentioned that earlier. It sounded like you were kind of moving towards this. How do we access the benefits of what Christ has done for us? Is that where you're going next? Yeah, exactly. So the second major uh, disagreement is uh, how is one rescued by God, mm -hmm. right? How are we saved uh, by God? And the, the Catholic answer is, God not only forgives our sins, but he regenerates us, he causes us to be born again, and, and he sanctifies us, so he brings about this growth in holiness and righteousness. And that is through his grace, which is always communicated to the Catholic faithful through the sacraments like baptism and confirmation and the Eucharist and penance. And this grace then is infused, it's poured into us, and it transforms our very being, our very inner core, so that we become more and more righteous. And, and so out of love, we can engage in good works. And as we do that, we're actually meriting eternal life. 
by God's grace, with our human cooperation with his grace, our efforts in love and engagement in good deeds, uh, we can then merit eternal life. And, and if we don't have that love and if we don't engage in those good deeds, if we don't do enough, then we can't be saved. And so that, that, that's so that very sounds different from the product Protestant notion. It's sorry, super different. It's super different. But I think one of the challenges that uh, that Protestants can face is when we engage uh, Catholics who would say something like what you just said. It's, it's all of the same words we use. We're just kind of right. meaning something ways. a little bit different. Right. Like yeah. they would say, yeah, "I'm saved by God's grace." Uh, but we're meaning something very, very different. And so, uh, Dr. Allison, tell me if you think this analogy is a little bit off. I think this is Thomas Aquinas, uh, but I could be misremembering, where it's almost like what, what Christ does at the cross is he buys up and merits a storehouse of divine grace and favor towards humanity, and we access that grace through participating in the sacrament. So it's almost like there's this big bank of God's grace, and we are able to withdraw God's grace as we participate in things like baptism, uh, the Lord's Supper, penance, and so on, all, all the sacraments that you just listed. Is that, a, is that maybe a, like a word picture that we could think of when we think about what Catholics say grace is? Yeah, I think that's a, a very good and helpful word picture, just as long as we avoid the idea of grace being like a substance. Sure. It, it, right. it, you know, the analogy emphasizes that it, it's, it's, it, it's not a thing. It's, it's still God's unmerited favor, but, but, but a couple differences between Catholics and Protestants here, that unmerited favor for Catholics has to come through the sacraments, mm-hmm. and it's infused, it's poured into us and transforms our character. For Protestants, right, God's grace is his unmerited favor that declares us not guilty, but righteous instead. He justifies us as we have faith in Jesus Christ. And so it's not an infusion of God's grace, but it's an imputation. It's a crediting of Christ's righteousness to our account so that we stand before God uh, and he sees us in Christ fully righteous, fully justified. So what would, be, what would the Catholic approach to the role of faith and salvation be? So, like, because I often heard growing up, well, Catholics don't believe in saving faith. They believe in saving deeds or saving works. Is that really accurate, or is there just a different angle that they take on the role of faith in salvation? So, yeah, even there is a major difference. So, for Roman Catholics, faith is first and foremost uh, the faith of the Roman Catholic Church, which it gives to you as a follower of Christ in the church. So, for example, um, JT, let's say you had never been baptized, and you left Village Church, and you converted to Roman Catholicism. Mm -hmm. So you would go through this lengthy process of of preparing you for salvation, and and, uh, you would then come to the sacrament of baptism, and immediately before you would be baptized, the priest or the bishop would ask you this question, what do you ask of the church? And your response would be faith. So you are reliant upon, you're dependent upon the gift of faith that comes through the Catholic Church, which gift precedes and grounds your own faith in Jesus Christ. Now, we as Protestants don't have anything like that, do we? No. So faith for for Catholics is is a gift from the Church, and and for us it's, it's something that God blesses us with, prompts in us through His Word and through His Spirit. 
And, and also another major difference is for Catholics, you can lose faith, mm-hmm. right? That, that faith can be lost. Your salvation can be lost. And I know at the village, like just at my church at Sojourn, we, we believe that um, genuine believers can never lose their faith, can never fall away from salvation, but will certainly remain in Christ and be redeemed in the end. So that's another major difference when it comes to faith. So it sounds like if you were if you were having a conversation with uh, somebody at Sojourn or the village and they're asking you the question, what conversation points can I begin a, a kind of a dialogue with a Roman Catholic neighbor or family member, you would suggest that they talk about what are the grounds of authority and how we know God uh, and what he's done for us, and then justification. What is the nature of this receiving of God's grace through what Christ has done? That's where you would encourage us to to really spend some time talking and thinking with them. If, if, um, yeah, if your goal is to have a dialogue about the differences, those two points would be the major ones. Uh, I would suggest something that goes before that, though, and that would be to invite your Catholic uh, relatives, family members, friends, neighbors, colleagues to um, read the Bible together. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, so when we were in Rome working with this Catholic lay organization, right, we would we would meet our Catholic neighbors and we would invite them into our home, say, on a Tuesday night for a Bible study, and we called it a reading group of the gospel. And, and so we would read different sections of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And we would read the text and reread the text and then just ask basic uh, Bible questions, uh, uh, interpretive questions, uh, you know, observe, observation, who are the people, the characters in this story, what are they doing, what are they saying? You're making me really happy yeah, right Jen, now. Jen, Jen's over, Jen is over in the corner dancing right now. But no, but you're, you're, des- yeah, you're describing what I've seen repeatedly is that the most avid students in my studies are either former Catholics or current Catholics who are curious, who have been either told the Bible is to be interpreted for you or you don't need the Bible. And then they begin reading it and they their first response often, frankly, is anger because they're like, I didn't know all this was in here. And and then they become just the most avid students because they're hungry for, for what they haven't seen. Um, but I'm curious, I'm curious about the whole idea. So in my in my kids' conversations with their student, their student peers, um, the Catholic students refer to the Reformation as the Great Revolt, <laughs> and uh, I was like, "Wow, that's a uh, that's spicy to, <laughs> to bring that out, you know, over coffee somewhere." But I'm curious what you would say. Let's have a Protestant honesty moment here. In looking back on the the Reformation, I'd be curious to hear, Doctor Allison, what it's. I think it's clear what we gained, right? Um, I wonder if you would be uh, be open to talking about maybe some of the things that we lost. What did we lose um, by, uh, can we say, being expelled from the Catholic Church? Sure. Remember, Luther didn't want to leave the Catholic Church. He wanted to reform right. it, but he right. got pressed out. That's, right. that's fine. But what, what have we lost? Um, well, for many uh, Protestant churches or evangelical churches, um, we've lost the importance of the ordinances or sacraments, whatever we want to call them. It's almost like an overreaction because Catholics so emphasize the grace of God, you know, being communicated through the sacraments. We're going to minimize those and really just focus on, on Scripture, the Word of God, preaching the Word of God. And the ordinances and sacraments are, are pretty much secondary. I think that's a great loss to us. 
I think also uh, seeing the role of tradition in the Catholic Church, you know, Immaculate Conception of Mary and Bodily Assumption of Mary and, and all these other things, we, we, we have developed this idea, uh, it's the, the no, no creed but the Bible, you know, no tradition, there's only the Bible. Which is and itself a creed. Is not, I think, wise, because we have a tradition, not like the Catholic tradition, but let's call it a small T tradition, right? Wisdom from the past in terms of our doctrine of the Trinity and Christ and all like that, which is, is wisdom. It's our legacy. It's our heritage as well. And, and if we lose that, we're, we're losing a lot of good theology and practice. And I think that really hurts us. And I think, too, and you hinted at this before, another thing that we lost is is a liturgy, a gospel liturgy in our church. Um, again, because the Catholic liturgy is so formal and structured and often void, you know, just it, it seems empty. We go, well, if the Catholics are going to have this very ordered, structured protocol uh, way that they do service, then we're going to become, you know, just kind of extemporaneous, and we're just going to kind of go with the flow. But I think, you know, a gospel liturgy in our evangelical churches helped form our people in the gospel and, and is very valuable. So I think we have lost some things. Dr. Allison, that is all so immensely helpful. I think particularly as we are trying to enter in humbly and charitably into conversation with our Catholic neighbors and friends and those who live around us, I think one of the things that I have felt, and I don't know if you have felt the same way, but in an increasingly hostile age when we're thinking about approaches to Christianity and the gospel, uh, one of the things I'm left considering often is what does partnership look like with members of other traditions? And so I'd love to just conclude our time uh, having discussed some similarities and some differences, just asking you the question as one who has done this and been a practitioner of it, how can evangelicals engage and or partner with our Catholic neighbors? In this day and age, I feel like we need to link arms with as many, um, with as many members of the Christian traditions as we can. So how can we engage and or partner with them for a great commission uh, endeavors in the world, in our neighborhood, uh, with social justice issues? I'd just love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. Uh, so Francis Schaeffer, a num- number of decades o- ago, talked about this beautiful concept of co-belligerence, fighting alongside one another, no matter our political persuasion, our religious orientation, or anything like that. So Catholics, Protestants, Orthodox, um, Mormons, Muslims, Jews, Taoists, Buddhists, Hindus, agnostics, atheists, if we stand for a culture of life and stand against a culture of death, abortion, physician-assisted suicide, things like that, we can Uh, strongly link arms with one another at our local level, regional level, and things like that, and, and, and be a voice, again, on the side of life over against death. And, and joining arms like that, linking arms like that is a great way to partner with our Catholic neighbors. Yeah, that's, that's really, really good. And I think something that, uh, that if you look at the history of evangelicalism related to the culture of life and the culture of death, is this is something we actually learned a great deal from our Catholic brothers and sisters on. Is yeah. they, they, were, they were at this issue before we were. 
And so I think that's a, that's a really helpful place to stop as we want to engage them with, hum, with uh, humility and with charity. Dr. Allison, thank you so much uh, for coming. It's just been a joy to hear from you. It's clear that you've been thinking about this topic for a very long time. All of these conversation points are very, very helpful, and we're grateful for your work. Your work at Southern Seminary is helping us at the Village Church and ultimately helping uh, the Evangelical Church as well. So thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Thanks. It's been a pleasure. Have you ever wondered what is God's heart towards you? In this noisy world, God's heart beats hard with love and mercy. But how can God share his heart with us when he doesn't have our attention? You're invited to spend 100 days discovering the beautiful, merciful heart of God with Overflowing Mercies, a new devotional by Craig Allen Cooper. The Lord is not ashamed of you or quick-tempered towards your faults. Each one of your weaknesses, faults, frailties, and failures does more to arouse God's love than to stir up His anger. If you could fathom in some small way how warmly God truly feels about you, the faintest grasp of His immeasurable affection would reduce you to tearful wonder and heartfelt gratitude. As God's mercies are new every single morning, overflowing mercies will continue to be a constant well of refreshing comfort, encouragement, and strength. It's perfect for personal quiet times, family and dinner table devotions, and small groups. Let this devotional help you get intentional, stay connected to God, and continue loving others. Order your copy of Overflowing Mercies, 100 Meditations on the Tender Heart of God today at moodypublishers.com or wherever great books are sold. The CSB Life Council Bible provides biblical counsel and practical wisdom for pastors, ministry leaders, counselors, parents, couples, and any individual seeking practical wisdom through the application of God's Word. It includes more than 150 full-length articles on a wide range of topics and tough issues from respected Christian counselors and scholars. Visit CSBLifeCouncilBible.com to get your copy today. Visit CSBLifeCouncilBible.com to get your your copy today. Well, I, I think that it would be good for us to kind of lay in the plane uh, on the Dr. Allison discussion. That was super helpful. Um, I just feel like one of the things that I'm walking away from asking are what are some of the kind of general responses in the room? Because I know that you, JT, and you, Jen, and I, we've talked about this before, right. and it, it's gotten a little... It's gotten a little heated. Yeah. Uh, and so what were some of the general takeaways from what Dr. Allison said? My favorite is the term co-belligerence, which I'm now going to apply to our meetings that the three of us have together. We can just call a co-belligerent staff yeah. meeting. Yeah. yeah, we need to put that in our Google calendar. <laughs> Standing appointment. Yeah. yeah, I think I think for me, I mean, there's probably there's probably two things I'd like for us to think about. And and the first thing is is like if we if we were gonna hang our hat on something or a few words that sum up uh, the tradition of being a Protestant or being a part of the Reformed tradition. It's the five solas that we that we might know, we might not know, but we certainly hold dear. It's the idea that the Bible alone is our authority. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to God's glory alone. I think those five things that we hold so dearly from our Reformers and from, from the Reformers or from the Reformed tradition is something that that I'll take away and something I think is important to emphasize. But I think one thing we didn't really get a chance to talk about as I, as I leave this conversation is when we think about engaging our Catholic uh, neighbors, friends, family, coworkers, whatever it might be, is are we talking about engaging them, all of them? Is any, in other words, is anybody who is a Catholic, are they all Christians or are they not Christians? 
Oh, right. Yeah. Like we want to engage them with the gospel, but are, are there any Catholics who are saved? Absolutely. I mean, this is a pretty tender spot for me as someone with a lot of family Absolutely. You know, who are in the Catholic church and, and also knowing the testimonies of many of them, you, you can come to saving faith in the Catholic church. And we, we would be fools to assume the Catholic church is really that different from the Protestant church in which there are wheat and weeds that are growing together. That's right. Yeah, and so good it's point. really good to, um, I, I look at it as, you know, as the Bible teacher, like either way I win everybody needs the Bible, you know, right. so let's, let's just go. But I never assume that my Protestant uh, participants in it's my really classes good point, are believers. And, and I think also we assume that there are different ways of talking to unbelievers than there are of talking to believers. Mm. And there may be a few, but it's probably just a handful that most of the time, the bottom line need is you need to know the Lord. Yeah, that's and right. so right. I can talk to the believer and the unbeliever often in many of the same terms. Right. So uh, I guess the way that we engage our Catholic neighbors is the way we engage anybody that we do not know. Yeah, it's right. a building that relationship and sort of feeling out where they are. Exactly, coming to them and just trying to to ask good questions about their relationship to Jesus Christ mm-hmm. and then trying to look to see if their life matches that testimony of just looking to see if there's fruit in keeping with faith and repentance in their life. And then I think there are areas of, um, you know, charitable discussion with mm-hmm. our Catholic neighbors to go, hey, can you help me understand a little bit more about Roman Catholic faith and practice? And I'm sure that they would have questions for us as well. And so when we do encounter somebody that appears to be a genuine believer, that's a member of a different theological tradition, uh, uh, that's still within the bounds of Christian orthodoxy, affirming God as triune and Jesus Christ as mm-hmm. fully God and fully man. When we encounter that individual, I think we should be excited to have conversation with them and learn about some of our other brothers and sisters in Christ. I think that's really good. I think, you know, the the charge of legalism is always leveled at the Catholic Church, and there are valid reasons for that, but we would be fools to say that there are not legalists in our midst. I oh. mean, you know, you could throw a nickel and ping one anywhere. <laughs> is that even a thing? But, the uh, only two people she could throw a nickel at right now, Kyle, are <laughs> yeah. me and you. And trust me, if I had one, I would. <laughs> okay. Well, I think one of the areas, and JT, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. I think Protestants um, often forget, and maybe we're just not aware, uh, that we rely heavily on the Catholic tradition. Absolutely. Right. So like maybe just spend a few moments. We kind of reference it, but when we think about Luther and the Reformation, Allison suggested it in um, talking about the Reformation, not as a great revolt per se, but he was really trying to bring renewal. Yeah. And part of that renewal was capturing what he believed the first kind of generation of Catholic Christians, quote unquote, believed. And so could you just spend maybe one minute talking about how as Protestants, we're heavily dependent and grateful Mm -hmm. for much of what's a merged in the Catholic tradition? Yeah, that's a really great question. So when you think about Luther or Calvin or any any of the other reformers, really their, their first and primary understanding wasn't that of being a reformer, but as being lowercase c, universally Catholic. And I think that's important mm-hmm. for any evangelical to, we first identify with uh, the great tradition of the church, which is summed up in Trinitarianism, uh, in Nicene Orthodoxy, or uh, in what we believe about the personal work of Christ. And so the reformers are understanding themselves that way. And what we see in their writings is a huge retrieval of that tradition. And so you see them citing Aquinas and Augustine and a lot of the early church fathers because they view themselves not as being, I'll use this term schismatics. They don't view themselves as starting an entirely new tradition, but as trying to reform from within. And so I think I think as evangelicals, we would, we would be well served to view ourselves that same way as view ourselves as uh, the Apostles' Creed would say, lowercase c Catholics. Mm-hmm. We, are, we, are, we have received the tradition that Jesus Christ has handed down to his apostles in scripture. 
and we are first and fundamentally Christian before we're Protestant. Mm-hmm. That's really helpful. Before we go, I'd love to recommend two books um, that Dr. Allison has authored that we find to be very helpful along this topic and that you might find to be helpful as well. One of the books we spent a lot of time talking through today, which is Roman Catholic Theology and Practice and Evangelical Assessment. That's a little bit of a larger book. And so if you are looking to take a deep dive into the topic, that would be a great next step. There is a smaller, more condensed version of a lot of Allison's insights on this topic. That book is called The Unfinished Reformation, What Unites and Divides Catholics and Protestants After 500 Years. That's a bit shorter. And so if you're looking for something that may be a bit more accessible, a good next step, we really think that book would be helpful. Thanks for listening to Knowing Faith, a podcast of Training the Church. For more information, you can look into the show notes in the podcast description. We'd be honored for you to leave us a podcast review on iTunes or wherever you find your podcast. You can find us online at trainingthechurch.com. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter by searching Knowing Faith. On our next episode, we are going to be discussing the time that three wise men walked into a barn in Bethlehem. See you next time. Grace and peace. Peace.